Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I said that pretty enthusiastically, only because I am very enthusiastic because my friend Mark Muska is in the studio with me. And we are also, Mark, I don't know if you know this, but today is the 74th birthday of Faith Radio. Isn't that something? It went on the air 74 years ago today. And that's quite a story. 900 AM. Oh, it's an amazing story. Yeah, with Billy Graham and the whole bunch. That's that's really impressive. And the students that organized and said, we want to do this, and they sacrificed their own Put that offering out there? Yes. Yeah. I mean, in 74 years ago, you're, you're donating like a dollar a week. That's a ton of money. It was. No pizza that week, you know? You or gotta, the following week. Yeah. So it's uh, that's impressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't aware of that. Thanks for saying that. That really brings back memories 50 years ago when I was a student here. Okay. And KTIS was just blossoming, exploding, wow. you know, and, and, across, and across the country through the network, too. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty special. Yeah. And you taught here how many years, Mark? Uh, yeah, you're, you're mumbling. Yeah. yeah. There's something in the Bible about not mumbling. Yeah. So, <laughs> I taught here a long okay. time. Yeah. I think 37 years. Something I'm just going like to, I'm going to go with that. Something like that. I, I don't, I don't have a fact checker. I'm just going to go 37. Mm-hmm. All right. It's ask the professor hour. So let me know what questions you have. 877-933-2484. So, as I've studied uh, Romans, and in particular Romans chapter 8 lately, there's a lovely verse in 828. Many people know it, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And, and I don't I don't know if I fully understand this verse, and that doesn't mean that I can't enjoy the benefits of what God is offering in this verse, but when I look at the word... Um, works, it's the Greek word synerge, which I believe means to work together, work with. We get the word synergism from Synergism, that. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a co-worker relationship. And for a long time, Mark, I thought maybe that verse means that if my life gets all messed up, somehow God's just going to figure it out for me. Oh, well, that's that's encouraging, isn't it? Well, it is, but I don't mm-hmm. know if that's entirely the way the verse was meant to be understood. Well, you know, Paul is trying to help uh, help these people understand the work of the Spirit, especially in the life of the follower of Christ in chapter 8. And this is one of the things he wants to reassure us about is that, look at verse 26. He talks about the Spirit helps us. In our weakness, we do not know how to pray. Anybody identify with that? Yeah, uh, over here. <laughs> Sometimes look, I just say, Lord, way. ah, you know, ah, <laughs> what am I even supposed yeah. to say here? Mm-hmm. I'm baffled. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And then he's trying to reassure us that God is, uh, he's causing all things to work together for good for us who a work along with him. We're with him. We're his followers, and mm-hmm. we do the the things of a Christian, a Christ follower, uh, as we live our lives. So uh, that's a, a very special promise. Uh, yeah. millions of Christians yeah. claim this thing. We don't, Mark. We don't see this as a salvation passage, do we? No. Okay. No. This is much more your walk with God. You're living the Christian life, growing from baby Christian to mature Christian, step by step, mm-hmm. day by day. Yeah. 
and the idea that the Spirit Himself intercedes uh, for us through yep. wordless groans. I, yeah. You got to sit on that one for a while, don't you? Yeah, and it it, it tells me that uh, there's more going on than we're even aware of. That uh, I I don't know. Do you have those groan prayers where you just come before the Lord and yes. go, God? Ah, yes. Just ugh. You know, you're you you can't find the words to mm-hmm. express what you're thinking and feeling. And thankfully, we've got this intercessor. He's a go-between for us. He's our well, Jesus calls him our paraclete. He's the he's our companion. He's our the one who walks right alongside with us. The Spirit does, and he is able to communicate things that we don't have the words for. I think of that so much of the time with the scripture, the poetry, the music that we listen to, and you hear a song and you go, "That's what I've been trying to say." You know, somebody captures it, a poet or someone, and I think the Spirit may be the master poet that he is effectively bringing our needs before the Father, even when we don't have the words. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been asked to pray for somebody, and at the moment you were asked to do it, it was you were overwhelmed with the prayer request you were about to make, and as you started to pray, you sort of lost the place that you were <laughs> at, and you wished you could just groan and just right. go, oh. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I did that yesterday. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. like, I couldn't spit it out. But mm-hmm. what, I, what I really wanted to do was just growing. Right. And it would have been appropriate. Yep. Yep. Sometimes I just admit that to the Lord. Lord, we got this situation here. I don't even know what to ask you. <laughs> yeah. I don't. It's I don't, so raw. It's so I, honest. Well, we don't know what's going on in people's hearts. We don't have all the information in experiences that are happening or events that are happening. And so we're, I mean, take this earthquake in Turkey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Isn't it over eight thousand now oh, that are uh, uh, dead because of this? You hear that, and God, you know, just we don't know how to pray mm-hmm. for something like that, but you do, and you are the the master of those situations. It's been really encouraging to hear the testimonies, by the way, of some of the Christians in uh, that part of the world, and how God is working powerfully even in the midst of this terrible disaster that's going on. Mm-hmm. So, Do you have something in your prayer life, Mark, that repeats itself often? <laughs> it's a four-letter word. Is that okay if I say it? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I'm blushing all of a sudden. Well, do you see the moms all over the Twin Cities tuning in their radio? What did he just say? <laughs> four-letter word. Yeah. It's, but it's four-letter word, help. I think that's the, okay. the most common one okay. I've got. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the, my recurring prayers lately has been, I pray that I will... Abide in your word. Oh, that's a good one too. Only Mm -hmm. because I think God has information about my life that I don't have. And sometimes, why do I go there to him strategizing what I would like for him to do? Yeah. When I have no no clue. Well, you almost feel like he's looking at you going, Bill, would you shut up so I can (laughs) communicate to you? You know? Exactly. I got got it here, buddy. You know, let me me do my work. So, yeah. And it, it reminds me of one of my favorite statements in 1 John 2 where... Uh, John reassures us that God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. I just have, I have come back to that for 50 years as a Christian, Mm -hmm. that I don't need to know everything that's going on inside of me. I can't figure that out sometimes, but he does. Yeah. And he's greater than my heart. He can work even though I'm a bonehead sometimes. Yeah. So 
that uh, I'm not going to agree. That's my fault. With you. Oh yeah. Can you, I? Though? You better. Yeah. Okay. And you're in the same boat with me. <laughs> so, and Rosie quit smiling. You are too. You know, she's nodding her head. Yes. So, but seriously, you know, you just you you stumble and you fall, and it just it's so reassuring. God is greater than our hearts, and He knows all things. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And, and yet we're victorious in Christ. Right. Well, that's we're, we're, here in Romans eight as well. Yeah. That we are more than conquerors through Him. You mm-hmm. know that uh, doesn't matter. Let, I'm I'm, I'm going to read it. I wish because, you would. Because uh, he he ends the chapter talking about this and the triumph of God, and he reassures us again in verse thirty five, where in Romans eight thirty five, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And that baby is a rhetorical question. He's going to say, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, nothing." Mm, but he I love that. he delineates it. Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Just as it's written. For your sake, we are put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then look what Paul says. But in all things, how many things? All things. We are over. We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Mm-hmm. That needs an amen at the end of it. You know? yeah, it does. What amen. a statement. Yeah. Wow. Mark, do you spend uh, much time going back and thanking God for past answered prayers? That's convicting because I don't think I do it enough and I should do it yeah, more. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm feeling convicted about yeah. that too. How about you, Rosie? Uh, definitely convicted, though lately I have been spending more time there yeah. because I think with the world as dark as it is, I need to go back and remember how faithful he has been Amen. Yep. and will continue to be. Yeah. Yep. Amen. And it's actually the basis of our confidence to bring requests to him now. Okay, Lord, we've seen you move here in powerful ways, and thank you so much for that. So we got a biggie here in front of us now, and we're depending on you for that just as much as we did for that stuff back then. Mm-hmm. It's a great basis for confidence in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And a comment came in that my my word is not results, but obedience. And that's another mm. good thing that mm. pray that I, I would be obedient to his word and that I would abide in his word. I mean, that to me is where I think a lot of energy in my prayer life should be. It's awesome. So, yeah. by the way, if anybody wants that passage in First John, I just looked it up to make sure I had it right about uh, God being greater than our hearts. It's First John 3, uh, verses 19 and 20, where... Uh, John says, we will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before God in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Boy, that's great. I love that. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Guest, It is Ask the Professor Hour. So whatever question you have, uh, send it over. Some great questions coming in. I will get to right after our short break. But the text line is open just for you, 877-933-2484. Be right back. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Listen to Faith Radio Live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app in your app store today. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning. 
mercies I see All I have needed Thy hand hath provided Great is Thy faithfulness Lord unto Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. That is his uh, walk-up music. I always love hearing that song, and I always yep. love seeing Mark, so it's kind of win-win. That's a good one. Yeah. I know you feel the same way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do. Yeah. All right, Mark, I got some great questions coming in. Okay. Why was the Lord going to kill Moses? And then why did his wife do what she did, where she took that flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it? Yeah. this I'm going to read the passage. It's Exodus 4, and just for the context... Uh, God has called Moses to go to Egypt and deliver his people, and it's taken a while. Moses has had a whole kind of excuses not to go, but he's finally going to go, and Aaron with him. And now they're uh, departing, and in Exodus 4, I'm going to start in verse 24, it says, Now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met Moses and sought to put him to death. Then Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, You are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So God left Moses alone. At that time, she said, You are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. And uh, then the story just goes on. That's all we get. Mm-hmm. And he, he talks about Aaron there, and they go out and assemble the elders of Israel. And here we go with the story of uh, Exodus and Israel leaving Egypt. And so... Uh, you have to remember that Moses, as a Jew, was circumcised. This goes back to Genesis 17, and circumcision was a sign. It was an illustration of these people being under the promises that God gave to Abraham. Abraham was promised that through him, his family would be blessed and become great, and that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. That was Genesis 12 when that started. He repeats it in chapter 15, and then in chapter 17, he institutes circumcision as a physical sign that they are under this covenant. They are descendants of Abraham. And so Moses and his family uh, were under these blessings. But Moses uh, went out in the wilderness, remember, to uh, marry Zipporah, and evidently during that 40 years in the wilderness— he had not followed through with this command in Genesis 17 to uh, circumcise his son. And so it appears as though there's more to this story, that God must have made this evident to Moses. There must have been some kind of confrontation there, but he had not circumcised his son. So God's saying, you're not going anywhere unless you come into line with what I expect out of you as a descendant of Abraham. And this is where uh, there's a a marital uh, struggle here. Anybody can relate to that? Uh, Where Zipporah takes and circumcises the boy, and she's angry at Moses because of this, that uh, somehow this is some necessary thing. It doesn't sound like she understands this the way Moses does. And and so it causes a rift here initially with him. But Mm -hmm. uh, think of it, this is serious enough where God's ready to stop Moses in his tracks. Yeah. Even after he's called him. So that's uh, that's something that gets your attention. It sure does. Mm-hmm. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Questions, send them over. 877-933-2484. Here's a very interesting question, another one, because they're all interesting. Mark, in Genesis, God created man 
and he said that his creation was very good. Yes. Then man fails. At this point, does man go from being very good to evil? Or is man still good, but just corrupted? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. And we have to be careful how we answer that. Okay. Because there's other th- uh, things involved with that. In uh, Genesis chapters 1 and then the first part of chapter 2, uh, we hear this creation story. And uh, this, uh, this caller is right to say that uh, God here, he declares this, it was very good. After most of the days of creation, he said, and it was evening and morning of the fourth day, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. But he adds a, an exclamation here in Genesis one thirty one, where he says, God saw the all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So this is important because Moses makes it clear as the author here that creation was good the way it was created. Something happened to it to bring sin and evil into the world, but it wasn't created that way. Mm-hmm. And that's really important for us to remember, that his creation was good. But then because of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, uh, now uh, Adam and Eve are tainted by sin. So I would reject that first alternative that the caller gave, that somehow they were good before the fall and now they're evil after the fall. They have been corrupted after the fall but they still are created by God, and there is a goodness, an innate goodness in that. And the major basis for that is is that right before God says that everything is very good in Genesis 1 and his creation is very good, he describes Adam and Eve here uh, back in uh, verses 26 and 27 of Genesis 1, where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and he said to them, he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and the whole thing after that. So they were, born, they were created in the image of God. They bear the image of God. They are the image of God. Mm-hmm. And there's nowhere in Scripture that says that that image was somehow destroyed when sin entered into the human race. And so we get into some word puzzles here. Okay, then exactly what happened to the image? Was it tainted? Was it corrupted? Was it lessened? Was it diluted? What happened to it? But they certainly do continue to have the image. Uh, One of my favorite passages for this is that uh, God speaks to Noah centuries later and talks about how if someone uh, murders someone, their own life is held in contempt because in his image, God created man so that we still can, we still uh, bear the image of God. Even after all those centuries of sin, we are image bearers of God. And because of that, we have a nobility and a worth and a, a wonderful dignity as human beings, every single one of us doesn't matter where, when, how, what, that each one of us has that as image bearers of God, but every single one of us has been corrupted, stained, diluted, whatever, because of sin. 
I, I love this, Bill. It's the best explanation I've ever heard for the human race, <laughs> mm-hmm. that if you look at the human race, we're capable of incredibly good things. Look at skyscrapers and the knowledge that goes into that. I'm in awe of that, of what we can produce. Or look at something like a world-class uh, painting. Uh, I was looking at some of these things when I was in the museum in Jerusalem, the, the is Israel's National Museum. I just stood there for 20 minutes looking at this one painting because it was so it was so beautiful. So you look at that, we have greatness within us, and that's and that is because we bear God's image. But then think of the cruel and the evil and the awful things we can do as a human race. Mm-hmm. And that's because we're fallen. So we're capable of immensely wonderful and incredibly good things and just heinous, ugly, awful, evil things too as a human race. I've never heard another world religion, another philosophy be able to explain that as eloquently as the Bible does. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you for that, Mark. Mark Muska is my guest. Ask the professor. Whatever question you have, send it over, 877-933-2484. Mark, let's jump over to Matthew 6, where we're looking at the um, sermon, the famous one. Sermon on uh, the Mount. The Mount, Yeah. yeah. And when Jesus is talking about... Um, the look at the birds of the air. They don't sow mm-hmm. or reap or st- store away in barns and your mm-hmm. heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Um, when I look at that, and, and obviously it's an agricultural society that they're, they're in, mm-hmm. it would, it would mean that the audience that was listening would be aware of seasons of planting and growth and harvesting. Yep. And yet you probably think that there are plenty of birds that don't survive the winter Right. And I can't, okay, I'm not going to worry about today, but because I know I can go to the grocery store tomorrow and get some stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So how would this audience have heard those words coming from Jesus? Yeah, this is, uh, it's, uh, I think we overcomplicate it if we're not, think, uh, if we're not careful. We over- okay. th- overthink That's it. That's probably what I did. And uh, it's really interesting about this question because in uh, the church that Karen and I have been visiting in Sioux Falls, the pastor has been preaching out of Matthew 6 just the last couple of weeks, and he was right here in this passage talking wow. about uh, generosity and uh, 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 anxiety and how we are not to be anxious for our lives. And he was right in these verses about the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. And so uh, it's kind of fun that this comes up. But the point Jesus is making is you're not going to add a day to your life by worrying about it. I love the statement to say, you know, 85 to 90% of what we worry about never happens. I know. <laughs> and so Crazy. why... Why are we worried rather than finding our contentment and our peace in God as our provider? And sure, there's birds that are going to die in a severe winter like this that we have, of course, that we can't say categorically every single one of them makes it. And that, and, and if they don't die of starvation, some hawk gets them or something like that. You know, So it, it's ridiculous to push it that far. The point he's making is you don't see birdies going to the birdie psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. they live their lives and God provides for them. Okay, and it's stupid the way it sounds, but sometimes it's just as stupid how much we bring anxiety into our lives and depression rather than depending on Amen. God. Amen. Doctor Mark Muska is my guest. Ask the professor. Send your questions over. Lots of good ones, and we have time for your question. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. We'll be right back. 
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Thank you for listening today. A big happy birthday to Faith Radio. 74 years ago today, we went on the air. Little 900 AM. And that was 74 years ago. And God's faithfulness is amazing. So here we are, 74 years later, talking to Dr. Mark Muska. He taught theology here for 37 years. Oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. We're mumbling again, Mark. I know it. It's unbecoming of us grown men to be mumbling. Sometimes you have to. I get that. I get yep. that. So great questions coming in. Send them over 877-933-2484. All right. A couple questions. I think, uh, what does it mean? It says, do not cook the goat in its mother's milk. Is that out of Exodus? Yeah, we something? just looked it up. We were having trouble finding it. It's Exodus twenty three nineteen. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, you shall do this and you, sh- you shall not do that in this section. The Ten Commandments are given in Exodus 20, and then there is a whole mess of other commandments given in 20, 21, 22, and 23. And then Exodus 24 is when the covenant is ratified that these laws will be a part of. And so in this, uh, God is just going through a number of things with Moses here, and he says in Exodus 23, 19, you shall bring the choice first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. You are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. And so uh, what's going on there? Why does God uh, prohibit that? This It could be that this is something that was part of pagan practices at mm-hmm. that time. There's some theories about that. It may be the whole dietary law that's going to come into place now, too, about what they eat and things they can eat together. Yes. Uh, and this appears to be maybe They're divided, s- aren't they? some of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's categories of their foods, food groups, maybe we would say, mm-hmm. something like that. So uh, uh, with some of these laws, w- we can figure some rationale for them. And others, uh, it seems like God puts these things without really explaining exactly why. He's requiring these things of them, that they're to obey them and not necessarily to understand all of them. Mm -hmm. Part two of the question, Mark, was uh, Asherah poles and their application today. I I, I don't know. I I remember Gideon uh, chopping down his father's Asherah pole at night in Judges. But I'm not entirely sure if it has any application today. Well, it's it's a uh, it's a uh, what would you say? It's a variety of or a part of idolatry. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see this with images set up. Also, you're going to have altars on high places where offerings are being offered to gods, and the Asherah poles are part of this. And so it's I like to lump it all together in staying away from pagan practices with certain physical symbols that will assist in this. Uh, appealing to these false gods that are out there. Are there any things like that today? You want to talk about idolatry for this. Uh, my eyes are being opened to this a lot in our world today. That uh, if you, uh, We may not be making statues out of gold of things like a goat or the, uh, uh, the uh, animals that Aaron made in Exodus while Moses was up on the mountain. But we've got our idols because an idol is anything that is receiving the kind of attention that only God deserves. So that we are seeking uh, good harvests from an idol. No, 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 no. That's God. 
who's going to provide that. Uh, we're seeking uh, uh, sons and daughters and for the the families to be fertile, to multiply. And uh, we're seeking that from an idol. Nope, that's God's affair as well. So an idol is anything that is standing in the way of our devotion to God and our reliance on him for the everyday things of our lives. And so you want to talk about 21st century idols, uh, just take a look in the media and the things that we devote ourselves to. Uh, I'm I'm getting to the point where some of the technology out there, thank you very much, Rosie, for holding up your phone, uh, that uh, are, we, are we depending on other things to, uh, in, instead of the Lord? I wonder if the most pernicious idol in the United States is money, that it seems like everything is traceable back to money and material things. And uh, for Christians, it's caused me to step back and look at my life and say, whoa, just a minute here. Now, I depend on God and not my bank account. Whatever I'm—Jesus uh, talks about this. You know, whatever your heart is concerned about, that is an idol in your life. And so are you more concerned about your bank account or your relationship with God and your dependence on him? So uh, we could we could have a real good open-ended conversation about potential idols in our lives that uh, that we face every day. But they may not look like these old ones made out of gold and silver and wood and so forth. Mm-hmm. So true. Uh, Mark, what about 1 Peter 3, 19? So talking, talks about Jesus. Uh, let's see here. He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, mm-hmm. those who were disobedient long ago mm-hmm. when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Uh, so did he go on some evangelism campaign between death and resurrection? And boy, you know, this is just a beauty, you know. I agree. Uh, that uh, Peter especially seems to get into this where I wish I would have been there while he was writing this or dictating it to whoever wrote it down and said, hold on for a minute here, Peter. <laughs> Let's stop the car for a little bit here and you got to explain yourself of uh, what you're talking about because he just throws these things out there and then he just keeps on going. And it's like his readers are going to nod their heads and understand exactly what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And I'm over there scratching my head going, hold it. Yeah. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't get this, what you're talking about. He's the main point he's talking about here in first Peter three is the idea that Christ has died for all of us, the just and the unjust, to bring us to God. He says that in verse 18, having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So if God wills that you suffer for doing what's right rather than doing what's wrong, that's that's good. And then he just gets into this thing in verse 19. He says, Christ was made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, Moses, or I'm sorry, Noah and his family, were brought safely through the waters. And so he's making a point here to say that there was a proclamation that Jesus made. The big question that comes up, and not all Bible-believing Christians have the same answer to this question, 
Was this a proclamation giving them the opportunity to believe and to be saved even after they died and they were imprisoned in this place of the dead? Or was this a proclamation of a testimony against them that they should have turned back then and now the way of salvation has been made, but it's being declared against you, not for you? Mm. And so you can have a great time kicking that around the block. I uh, I think it's more consistent to be the second one that I gave you. He's he's bearing witness to everyone, all those on the earth and all those who have ever lived who are so-called under the earth in this place of the dead, that he has provided this salvation now through his death on the cross. Mm-hmm. And then he will be raised to life on the third day. So, mm. but uh, boy, I, you know, this is not one of those passages that you can look at and say, oh, that's easy. Let's just, you know, knock this right out here. So I like it on study Bibles. I'm just looking at my study Bible here. There's a, almost a half a page here in the study notes about this, trying to explain it. That means these guys who <laughs> they don't know either, do published they? <laughs> this Bible realize it's a tough passage to be able to make sense out of. Mm-hmm. So Mark, uh, I'm going to say something and I'd like you to respond to it. So if, yes. if we are, thank you. Okay. If we are dead in our sins, yes. are we also responsible for that? We're dead in our sins, but we're responsible for that. Yes. So talk about that. Well, we're dead in our sins of, because of what's happened to the human race as a whole, that we of, are, are born with this, not just this predisposition to sin, but I, I go so far, Bill, as to say that we are imprisoned in this sin uh, right from birth and our earliest years. Uh, anybody who's been a parent, we make jokes out of this, but maybe we shouldn't joke about it. That you don't have to teach your kids to do the wrong thing. They figure that out just fine. Mm-hmm. you got to try to teach them to do the right thing. And so we are dead because of that. We are separated from God I love the way Paul just nails it. It's one of the major verses we use to share with non-Christians about sin, where in Romans 3, uh, 23, uh, Paul just makes it apparent that uh, because of our sin, uh, we are now separated from God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the way we're born. And we're responsible for that one way or another, either because of what's happened to the human race before us and our ancestors, our our parents, our grandparents, great-grandparents, and so forth. But then, Bill, with every choice that we make as human beings in and of ourselves, we confirm it. It isn't like somebody gets born and they start making good decisions and godly decisions, and then when they're 10 years old, oops, they slip up and sin mm-hmm. some. Uh-uh. Uh, that we confirm this with our own corruption and our hearts. We are dead in sin because it doesn't take long for us to rebel against the things of God. That is our nature that we are bound in that. And it sounds really grim, but I'm glad that Paul and the other writers make this clear because then all the work and the glory of God is able to then awaken us and save us from that sin. We can't take any credit for that salvation that God provides through Jesus. He reaches us. Uh, Jesus said this to his 12 disciples, you know, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Mm -hmm. And that's God's words for all of us, that he's chosen us and opened our eyes to the beauty of Christ and the forgiveness of sin he provides. And uh, if he wouldn't do that, 
we're lost. We're just not going to be able to resist that corruption that's within all of us. Very interesting, Mark. Thank you for that answer. Uh, my next question, and my computer just went down, so I'm Ooh. a little handicapped right now. Wow. But, yeah, I don't know what to say there. Mm-hmm. But let me see if I can figure this out. One out. Sure. The, what happens when you have a, a faith and calamity strikes in such a significant way that you have kind of lost sight of God and you've lost sight of your faith and you start to think, how can God allow this calamity? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, how do you navigate that? Man. I know, I'm asking the tough ones today. That, well, and you know, it's so tough too, Bill, because I don't know if I know any Christians that haven't faced that in one way or another. Mm-hmm. As, if they walk with the Lord for any period of time at all, there are setbacks. There are things that go wrong, and we have to deal with that. I like to start by backing up a little bit and saying, okay, now that you belong to Christ, what are your expect expectations of God? Because if you start itemizing that out, most of the time we got unrealistic expectations <laughs> yeah. where it's going to be a walk through the lilies with the choir singing throughout our lives. And we're if we face obstacles, we will just triumph over them and just nothing is going to knock us off our feet. But, you know, <laughs> the adversity comes all the time and in multiple forms. Mm-hmm. And that's when it really tests us to say, do we trust God even when we don't know what he's up to, you know? Again, with prayer, sometimes I'll just say to God, I don't know what you're doing, God, but this just doesn't make sense. Your promises to take care of me or the people I love, and it just doesn't seem like that's happening. It seems like it's going in the other direction. And uh, I, uh, uh, I, I think that's just a tremendously important question. I got two things to share from you from the media for this though. Okay. Uh, one of them uh, was an interview I saw. Uh, my wife showed this to me. Some people may know some of these people. Uh, one's a contemporary pastor that's uh, very popular and uh, he has a regular preaching uh, here, I think on Faith Radio. It's um, uh, Greg, um, oh, I can't think of him, the pastor in Southern California. Um Anyway, he he interviewed back in 2013 uh, of Chuck Smith, who was the pastor of uh, Calvary Chapel in mm-hmm. Southern California and is seen as really the epicenter of the Jesus Revolution that took place in the 1970s and 90s. Greg Laurie, I'm sorry, that's who There it you is. go, yeah. yeah. Greg Laurie interviewed him in 2013, and it so turned out that he interviewed Chuck Smith two weeks before Chuck Smith died of cancer. He was right at the end of his life. Mm-hmm. And he was talking to Chuck Smith about this and the dark times that come and the doubts and questions, he said. And Chuck Smith said it so well and just a little bumper sticker statement where he said, don't exchange what you know for what you don't know. And man, I just hit wow. on that. That's that is a solid. great statement. What do you know? You know God loves you. You know that you belong to him. Don't exchange that for why did this happen? I've, I've, liked, I've said it in the past to say, don't let the shadows of doubt and difficulties cast shadows on what you know in the light about God. 
that that's what we cling to in those circumstances. So mm-hmm. I, I just loved that. I was so appreciative that Chuck Smith said that uh, 10 years ago now. It's been a while. But then the other one is my favorite uh, TV series out there, The Chosen, uh, is wrapping up season three this week. There's millions of people all over the country chattering about that. And they have a scene that is really well done about this because one of the plot lines, I might, oh, I might be doing the spoiler alert here. Anyway, uh, uh, Peter is really struggling in these scenes because his wife has miscarried and he has entrusted her into Jesus' hands while he's out ministering. Mm-hmm. And now he feels like Jesus let him down. And there's one statement where he makes, he says, I still believe he's the Messiah, but he's let me down and he has to wrestle with and, and they and they portray this in a realistic way. Mm-hmm. You're going to have times like that and they just don't get whitewashed away after 30 seconds or 45 seconds. Sometimes it takes weeks and months to be able to work through those times. But thank God for God's word because it guides us. Thank God for his people who come around us and surround us and help us to be able to come out the other end of those valleys that mm-hmm. we walk through. I mean, what is, let's <laughs> just almost say, uh, walking through the valley of death in Psalm 23. That's no uh, lilies and choir singing kind of experience. You're in trouble. Yeah. And God is still there, though. Mm-hmm. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. We'll take a short break and come back. If you have a question, 877-933-2484. would love to hear from you. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Musk is with me. Ask the professor. He professored here for 37 years, or give or take a few. And we have him for this full hour. We did. And if you missed any of it, I really recommend going and hearing the podcast. You can do that at myfaithradio.com. You can hear all the questions and all the answers at your leisure. And you can do it as early as about a half hour after the show. That'll be posted at myfaithradio.com. You should check out everything at myfaithradio.com because there's a lot of cool stuff there. And if you don't have the app, I think you'd like having the app, too, on your phone. If you don't like it, you can always erase it. So, again, happy birthday to Faith Radio. 74 years ago today, we went on the air. And we're awfully excited that God has blessed this ministry in so many significant ways. So, we're grateful for you, the listener. And uh, so, thank you for that. Let's see, Mark. Uh, my internet's down, so I'm a little bit in trouble. So That's okay. Yeah, that's it's tough. We get very dependent. I can't on see questions, which is troubling, and yet I still ask for them. So I don't know what's wrong. Um, I would like to know about the passage, and I can't find it. Rosie, did you find it by any chance? No. Yeah, where the Spirit reveals to you that you belong to God. You know, you know because you know because you know. Someone says, well, how do you know that you are... Mm-hmm in a relationship with God and Jesus. And I say, I know because I know, because the Holy Spirit has revealed to me who I am. That's part of the identity building, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 
that the Holy Spirit who has taken up residence inside of me reveals to me who I am and who I belong to. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That now, we can have confidence in that. It's subjective, but it's very powerful. Because a lot of people will say, well, I, you know, I, I hope I'm a Christian. And they don't really know. They hope they are. They try to act like one. But there's something significant about having the Holy Spirit reveal to you that you belong to him. Mm-hmm. And that he is yours and you are his. And he calls you by name. He's the good shepherd. Yep. And he cares about you and loves you. And and you're not, I mean, it gets back to the last question. We may not always feel that way when we're going through and it seems like God has uh, left us somewhere. And so, you know, what, what are we supposed to do with that when we feel like we've been abandoned? And there we hang on to the promises of God no matter how we feel about it. And so uh, I go back to that and say, I, I'm, in the, I'm in the shadow, Lord, but I'm going to believe you here when you say, that I belong to you, not because of the level of my faith or something that uh, some experience I've had, but because of the truth of your word that you've promised this. I put my faith in the gospel. I depend on you, Jesus, to forgive my sin, and I can have confidence that I'm forgiven. Mm-hmm. Mark, here's a question that just came in. Okay. I'm getting it off my phone. Okay. I've read that the God of Abraham is the same God for Christians, Jews, and Muslims. How come there is such disparity between the religions? Yeah, that's a good question because the all three religions trace their origin to Abraham, but that doesn't mean they stay on the same path after that once they go. And the most obvious there is between Jews and Christians that uh, we share with our Jewish friends this belief that we now are receiving the benefit of the blessings promised to Abraham and his descendants or his seed or those who came after him. But obviously, we as Christians are saying that the Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew 1.1 says, he's the son of Abraham and we are blessed with the blessings of Abraham through Jesus. And for many Jews, that's where they they divert from us. So we start with Abraham, but we move away from him. Uh, Islam is similar, where it starts with Abraham, but it moves away from uh, both Judaism and Christianity uh, subsequently as you look at the history of humanity and the promises that come, the experiences that are claimed through the Quran as well as through the scriptures. So uh, the main thing I point to is that Jesus is the most important uh, point of distinction for Christianity that uh, we hold to many things that Jews hold to, but we declare Jesus is Lord, and uh, uh, Jews will not acknowledge that, uh, at least until they come to faith in Christ. And uh, um, Muslims will hold Jesus in very high regard as a prophet of God, but they do not declare him as the Son of God. That is our diversion point from those two religions. Mm-hmm. So just be sort, because they started in the same place doesn't mean they end in the same place. Mm-hmm. I, 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 there was something in there, though, about why do we have so much conflict between them, right? Yes. And that is something that Christians need to do more to work on, to say that we respectfully differ with Jewish and Muslim 
uh, followers of those faiths, but we absolutely positively never persecute them or somehow denigrate them because of that. Uh, We are to reach out in kindness and love and truth with them, uh, with the gospel, and any kind of violence or hatred that comes in there is is not of God, period. Mm -hmm. Even though some Jewish and Muslim extremists may be hateful and violent toward Christians. We are not to return that uh, to them. Mm-hmm. All right, Mark, I think I have time for one more question. Was okay. there some underlying reason in the law, perhaps, for Jesus to be baptized by John? Yeah, that's really a good question. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Smart uh, listeners. The uh, uh, book of Matthew uh, gets into this because uh, Matthew records here there's a little interchange between Jesus and John the Baptist uh, before uh, John uh, uh, baptizes him, and uh, I, I appreciate that. And so let me get to the passage here in the first couple of chapters of Matthew. Uh, it talks about John baptizing, he answers the questions of the Jewish leadership, are you the Messiah? And he says, uh-uh, I'm preparing the way for the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And then in Matthew 3, uh, 13, uh, Jesus shows up and to be baptized by John, and John tried to prevent him. He says, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. <laughs> you come to me. And But in, listen to what Jesus says. He's permitted at this time, John, for in this way it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And John permitted him. The best I can do with this is Jesus is being an example. John is baptizing people for the repentance of sin because the kingdom of God is hand at hand. And when Jesus gets baptized, he's saying amen to that. Mm-hmm. The kingdom is at hand, so repent from sin. But that doesn't mean that Jesus had to repent of any sin. He's unifying himself with John and affirming his message by mm-hmm. being baptized by him. So good. So good. Mark, it's always good to see you. Thank you so yeah. much for A, your friendship, B, your expertise, C, your willingness to do the show, and I'm sure there's many others. I don't know. But it's always nice to see you all face-to-face. This is great. This is the best. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you so much. Yep. And my best uh, to you on your your little vacation you're taking starting, I think, tomorrow. Yep, that's right. And my best to Karen. All right. That's all our show. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. I look forward to tomorrow already. Have a great night. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.